Hello everyone, Bryce Ferguson here. I want to announce that in the following few weeks, I'll be launching a Patreon account to help fundraise for this brand new ministry into the Word. We are not yet a nonprofit ministry, therefore, Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. last short section of music as part of this introduction reminds me, and I think I may have said this a number of months ago, the reason I chose that is it starts off slow and there are different strong sounds. It made me think of when Moses entered the tent of meeting, become the tabernacle to meet with God. There was this ominous presence of the Lord. There was this, this humbling of yourself before the Lord because you felt the weight of God. There was this encounter with God and it was intense and it was dynamic. And it made you tremble in holy fear before the Almighty. And sometimes, perhaps most of the time, we lose sight of who we are coming before. Whether this is coming into church, whether this is coming before God in prayer, and when God speaks, let us hold fast to his word. Let us hold fast with an intensity and a purpose and an intentionality of our God who is purposeful and intentional and driven. Let us hold fast to our God. When he speaks, may we listen. When he acts, may we worship. When he rules, may we follow his rule in the order and the structure of which God has designed. 
Let's pray. Holy God, wonderful God, the almighty God over all things, may your people worship you with exuberance. May your people worship you freely. May your people worship you abundantly. For you are worthy. And when you speak, these are the very words of God. In your scripture, we have the very words that you have spoken. We have your words. We have not yet seen you face to face, O Lord. But we have your words. We have your word. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we are stitched together in such a closeness and such a a beautiful relationship now. Oh, Lord, let us be faithful to that relationship, to our relationship with you, because you are always faithful. Holy Spirit, please illuminate the scripture to teach us today to worship God. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Last week, we read the start of chapter 16. And if you have your Bibles, please open with me again, and we will review with the first four verses in the chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. So what do we see here? As review from last week, what do we see here? We see that Sarai impatiently did not want to continue waiting on the Lord. She was willing to try, it seems like here in the text, anything for the chance of bringing to pass the child of the promise, which the Lord had promised to Abraham, to Abram, before his name is Abraham. And because God believes in marriage and of one man and one woman, That was within the context of Abram and Sarai. And yet she rushes to something outside of that, not even sure if it will result in a child. Sarai acted in sin. She brings the idea to her husband, Abram. And instead of listening to the voice of God or seeking the voice of God, Abram acts in sin. What else do we see? We see that Hagar, her servant, participated in all this and did not refuse it. Therefore, Hagar acted in sin. Because God established marriage between one man and one woman, this arrangement, this sex outside of marriage, I know that the scripture here says that Sarai gave Hagar to Abram as a wife, as 
a wife? Was it officially a marriage in God's eyes? No, it wasn't. Because God believes one man, one woman. The Bible affirms over and over again the establishment of marriage. We read in Genesis 2.24, this was with Adam and Eve, when God says that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So I ask you, how could anyone but one man and one woman alone in unity become one flesh? They couldn't. Therefore, the giving and the accepting of sex with Hagar went against God's command. Some have said that Hagar didn't have a choice in the matter. Some commentaries will say this. Because she was Sarai's servant, but... Each person always has a choice whether to sin or not to sin, unless they are physically forced to sin by another person. And then we're talking about a different matter entirely. Whether she was Sarai's servant or not, she could have refused to participate. And even if that meant Sarai would have banished her for refusing she would have honored God by refusing and walked away in obedience to God. But I even think with the fact of her being Sarai's servant, and obviously she appreciated her as a servant because she had been with her up to this point, I think it seems unlikely Sarai would have banished her for refusing. I don't know that. But that's just my presumption. So why did Hagar participate in the sin? Well, why did Sarai propose the sin? Why did Abram participate in the sin when he knew what God had promised and he knew God's command for a holy and sacred marriage all the way back from Genesis? Because each of us have the choice to obey God in love or opposingly go against him. And here, all three went against God's command. Remember, I talked about that for sinful choices a few weeks ago, there can be disastrous fallout. I mentioned that last week as well. Well, let's pick up our Bibles again and go back to verse 4. So Abram went into Hagar and she conceived... And when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That would be Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So let's look at this. Hagar gets pregnant. And then Hagar has furious anger toward Sarai. 
It says that she looked with contempt on her. I would describe that as furious anger or great anger. Sarai accuses Abram that he is really the one due the anger from Hagar and not herself. So she's shifting it all around. Sarai tries to justify herself as innocent because she gave Hagar to have sex with Abram, which is ridiculous. She's not innocent. Sarai then harshly rebukes Abram for the Lord and asks for the Lord to judge between Abram and Sarai of who is guilty. When, as we can clearly see in the text, both of them are guilty. And it was Sarai who started the whole matter. Seems like a common tale, doesn't it? That someone who leads a situation in sin and then there's backlash, then starts blame shifting and passing the sin, you know, passing the blame around so that they look as though they are innocent. Abram calls himself Sarai's servant, or perhaps he's talking about Hagar here. Either way, he's abdicating his role as the leader of their marriage, and he empowers Sarai to do with Hagar whatever she pleases. Again, abdicating his role to seek the Lord, ask for forgiveness, and seek the Lord now for what to do next. As Hagar acted in anger towards Sarai, we see in verse 6 that Sarai responds in anger back to Hagar. Harshness. So Hagar takes off. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. We see quite a shift in the story here. We see quite a shift in this passage. It starts from all of this sin at the start of chapter 16. This rift in the marriage of Abram and Sarai. By bringing someone else in 
to the marriage, essentially, but that's not true because God sees the marriage as one man, one woman in a covenantal relationship, i.e. that is a covenantal relationship for life. They are together. They are to mirror God's love to the world through a godly marriage, through a faithful marriage. And even though, yea, though they sin, that they would repent of their sin, trust in Jesus, and proclaim the greatness of God. Yes, I know Jesus hasn't appeared in the text from Genesis 1 to this point yet, though he was with God in the beginning. But to repent of their sin and to trust in God to seek God for forgiveness, and to proclaim God's glory and God's greatness to the world. This is what godly marriage is about, and it is only in the context of one man and one woman. And when there is adultery, or when there is sexual unfaithfulness of that one man and one woman, then there is trouble. There is danger. There is stress. There is jealousy. There is greed. There is discord. There is anger, which we read about here in the passage. It's interesting that Sarai gave Hagar to Abram, to sleep together so that they would produce a child that somehow Sarai thought that she could have that child, that that child would be hers. And yes, I know this is a different culture and a different time than today in 2023. It's still curious. But it's interesting that once Hagar con uh, conceives, that she starts being angry against Sarai. It says, scripture says that she looks with contempt on Sarai. So Sarai proposes sin. All three participate in sin. And then it's Hagar who leads off in anger. These are the kind of things that happen when we go outside the will of God. There is stress. There's conflict, there's discord, there's jealousy, there's anger, there's resentment, there's contempt, and more. God knows the way to life. God asks us to wait on him, patiently wait on him. And to know that the things that happen in this life do not happen on our preferred timetable, but they happen in God's timing. That is not to say that we are not supposed to bring our petitions before the Lord and bring our petitions before the Lord with consistency because what did Jesus say about the persistent widow? To come before the judge again and again and again and again, to come like a little child to their father, knowing that their father wants to give their, his children good things. But the parable of the persistent widow is that the judge is inevitably not only going to listen to the widow as she makes her persistent petitions, but he will respond. 
Now, God may not always respond in the way that we prefer, and he will not respond in the timing that we prefer, but he will respond because he is good. Let's look at verse 7. Again, a big shift from the first half of the passage, first half of the chapter. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, depending upon the commentaries or the, the teachings that you have heard, this is either a direct messenger, an angelic messenger, an angel from God on a mission to have a direct conversation on behalf of God with a human being on earth. And we see this repeated throughout scripture. Sometimes you see the angel of the Lord. Sometimes you see an angel of the Lord. But many of us believe that this was Jesus himself before he came to earth later in the New Testament, born as a baby. That this was God himself having a conversation when it says the angel of the Lord. What does the angel of the Lord say to Hagar? Hello? Who are you? No, he knows her personally. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarai. He addresses her personally by her name and by her title, by her role. And in that, he also affirms to her, you are still the servant of Sarai. Yes, there was conflict. Yes, there was sin. Yes, there was anger. Yes, there was jealousy. Yes, all of this happened. All three acted in sin. And she cast you away. But I am here to say, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Where have you come from and where are you going? God knew. But God likes to ask questions so he can hear us speak. It's a conversation. She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, what did he say? Did he say, oh, okay. Continue then. Be safe. No. In fact, he says something quite pointed and direct. The angel gives direction to Hagar in verse 9 of what God wants to happen. See, we don't read that Sarai sought the Lord in the beginning of chapter 16. We do not read that Abram sought the Lord because we just read chapter 15 two weeks ago when God reaffirmed his plan for Abram to have a son. And obviously that would be within the context of his marriage to Sarai because marriage is sacred. And God said in chapter 15, know for certain. This was a third or actually about the seventh time that God had said these words to Abram. 
about the third conversation over 10 years and about the sixth or seventh time when he says the words, no for certain. And we do not read that Hagar sought the Lord. So we have three people, three options for sin on the table, three people who do not seek the Lord. And so three people who sin and three people who must deal with the fallout of sin. Hagar despises Sarai. So Sarai calls out Abram. Abram then throws it back at Sarai. Sarai despises Hagar, and then Hagar leaves. Let me say it this way. Someone sins. Someone gets jealous. Someone gets angry. Someone's feelings get hurt, and they leave. It kind of sounds... All too familiar, not this exact story, but just that rhetorical summary, doesn't it? So obviously God did not want any of this to happen because God doesn't want sin to happen. God doesn't direct sin because sin is evil. Sin is the opposition against God. It is the opposition to God. Sin is of Satan. Sin is of the evil one. Sin is of demons. Sin is of darkness. Sin is of pride. Sin is adamantly against the Lord. But God meets us in the moment after sin as a loving father to correct us, to bring us around, and then to redirect us. His plan, as mysterious as it is, was for Hagar to remain in Abram and Sarai's household. He says, return to your mistress and submit to her. And I think part of it was to show God's glory with the fact that despite how all three of them rushed in to the possibility and then the actuality of having a child, outside of the godly marriage of Abram and Sarai, and that God had already said the child of the promise would be from Abram's marriage, that Hagar and her soon-to-be child must return and be submissive to the fact that God had chosen the child of the promise to be the union with Abram and Sarai, Isaac. So Ishmael would not be the chosen one. Isaac would be the chosen one. And both Hagar and Ishmael would be witnesses to God's choosing. This is the choice God made back when he originally called Abram in chapter 12, when God reaffirmed it to Abram time and time again. But being out in the wilderness also... This redirection from the angel of the Lord could have been one of vitality. The fact that the wilderness is barren, that the wilderness is dry. So it was for life. Perhaps that Hagar needed to return in order to survive. And God says something quite mysterious here to Hagar in verse 10. That her offspring also would be multiplied so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And this is curious, as this is very similar language to how God promised Abram 
that Abram would have offspring too numerous to count, like the dust, like the stars. Indeed, we, we now know that there was a deviation in the line of Abram, soon to be known in the text as Abraham, that Abram and Sarai would soon give birth to a son, Isaac, who would continue in the line of the biblical faith of the people of God and down the line of their descendants would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And on the split line from Abram now, the union with Hagar, would come a son, as the angel of the Lord says here, and his name would be called Ishmael. And as we now know, this would later produce the new line of who claim uh, the Islamic faith. The Islamic faith would say that Hagar is in their line, that Ishmael is in their line, and Abram one which does not glorify Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior. Muslims do not give glory to Yahweh, the God of the Bible, in holiness and in set-apartedness, one who, does, who do not believe the Holy Bible because the Holy Bible believes in the Trinitarian God of the Bible who believes that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior who came to earth to die on a cross for our sins so that we might be reunited with God. If we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him and in him alone. So how do I reconcile this? How do I reconcile this prophecy to Hagar from the angel of the Lord? Well, I've researched it, and I'm still researching it, and I cannot explain this text to you fully. But what I can say is this. Obviously, the number of descendants from the line of Hagar and Ishmael are many. Some commentators say that she went on to have a number of descendants, and therefore that's what the angel of the Lord was talking about here. And obviously, we could down the line continue to count and say that, yes, that turned into millions and millions of descendants and more. But each of us are given the choice to bow the knee to God, to repent of our sin, to trust in Jesus, to believe the Holy Bible and live according to its word, to submit ourselves to God or not. The Lord's visitation to Hagar in the desert is one I do believe of compassion and one of mystery. Burning question in my mind is, did Hagar trust in God? Not the God of the Islamic faith. Did she trust in the God of the Holy Bible, the God in whom we worship? We see her respond to God's words of prophecy to her by calling the name of the Lord you are a God of seeing. And she says, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. But besides that, we don't see specifically 
And yes, she listened to God and she returns to Abram and Sarai. But besides that, we don't see that she puts her whole hope and faith and trust in God and worships God as God. She may have given her life to God. She may have not. And of course, the Islamic faith gives heavy credit to her as the one in the line of their faith who had union with Abram and gave birth to Ishmael. And Ishmael and each descendant after him in that new line also had the choice whether to bow the knee to the God of the Bible or not. And what we witness in the Islamic faith as, as what is to eventually be known from Genesis 16 forward as the Islamic faith, though we don't read about that in the scripture, that's extra biblical, but from that other line is that they did not bow the knee to Yahweh or to Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Each person on earth has the choice to repent of their sin, trust in God, and that specifically as I mentioned, trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf for their sin and to live a life reflective of that decision, or they have the decision to refuse God. And we all are witnesses every day to those who choose God, and we're also witnesses every day to those who do the opposite. There's only two paths. There's the straight and narrow path which leads to life, and that means to be with Jesus and Father God for all eternity by trusting and obeying him and walking in his ways. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then there are those on the wide path that leads to death. All false religions. Those who do not claim, and those who don't claim any religion. Those who think they're simply spiritual, but they have no regard for God, they have no regard for the Bible, they don't worship Jesus, they're all on the road to hell when they perish from this earth. It's Jesus alone who saves. That you have to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's Romans 10, 9 through 10. And of course, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. God has made very clear that you are to follow him and to worship him and to read his word and to affirm his word because these are the words of God. The Bible is the Holy Spirit empowered word of God written through men, written by men, but inspired by God. And when it says that God spoke, words, and it's in quotations. These are the words of God. Do we believe this? Do we look at this with an awestruck wonder and an awestruck heavy heart of the ominous nature of our God, the Almighty? 
Do we look at it and do we connect that the scripture in these verses, that the words of God in these verses are from the same God who made the trees outside, who made the sky, who made the mountains, who made the planets, who made the other planets, who made our sun, who made outer space and the solar system and all the stars, too numerous for Abram to count. Do we know this? Do we worship God in this? We say, yes, God, you are so great and so mighty and you are beyond my comprehension. That's how great you are. That the scale that I can compute with my finite mind is very limited that I can read about eternity and I can say, my mind does not understand that whatsoever, but I can believe it in faith because faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. See, faith is trusting God even for that which we cannot comprehend even for that which we cannot scientifically put in a box. Because we know that God is good. And because we believe in faith. Let's look at one other aspect here. Let's go back to verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. I know that language there, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. seems like it's not correct grammar. That's how it's written in, in the ESV here from which I'm reading. In verse 12, this is not always the case. It obviously is not always the case. But God prophetically tells Hagar, one, you're going to have a son. Two, this is what you should name him. Three, this is how he's going to behave in his life. And it's interesting to see that the joining of three people in sin at the start of chapter 16, that this is what the offspring will be like. Again, that's not a blanket statement. That is not even a repeated statement. I'm just talking about it here. This one example in chapter 16. God does not say that from Hagar going outside of the godly marriage of Abram and Sarai, who were destined to have the child of the promise, God had affirmed it over and over and over again, that that would be the biblical line of the people of God and that Abram's descendants would be too numerous to count. This is outside the line of that. And the union of Abram and Hagar will result in what? a wild donkey of a man. He's not going to be peaceful. 
his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Those are his people, his relatives, his siblings. He shall dwell over, which sounds ruling in authority or dominion, against his kinsmen. That is conflict. That is turmoil. That is stress. Kind of like what happened at the start of chapter 16. So, when we hold fast in our marriage, one man and one woman, when we hold fast, when the man holds fast to his wife and doesn't go outside of his one singular wife, when the woman holds fast to her husband and the two become one flesh, and she doesn't go outside the fact of her one singular husband. Yes, there will still be sin because we're still sinners. Yes, there will still be conflict because we're still sinners. Yes, there will be stress because we're still sinners. But you will be acting in a way that honors God. You will be following God on the straight and narrow path that leads to life because God created marriage. Because God wants to bless his people like a good father who wants to give his son good gifts and his daughter good gifts. That when we try so fervently to emulate the thoughts of our God, the heart motivations of our God, the actions of our God, then we are acting in godliness and in righteousness. And this is what God has for his people. This is the design for his people. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So are we loving God in our life choices? Are we loving God in our marriage choices? Are we loving God in the way that we are with our neighbors? Are we loving God in the way that we are with our extended relatives? Are we loving God in our friendships? God says to hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let go. It's been 10 years you're waiting for a child. Don't let go. Have I not promised you? Don't let go. Hold fast. And one thing that his people can always say, the Lord is always good. Let's pray. Generous God and loving Father, the one who has good for your children and the one who wants good for your children in our autonomy of whether to follow you on the straight and narrow path or to turn and to walk opposite. Holy Spirit, may you stir our hearts 
to follow God on the straight and narrow path which leads to life and godliness and righteousness so that we could walk alongside our Savior because our Savior walks in godliness and in righteousness and is about the glory of God. Oh, teach us, oh, lead us, oh, guide us, Holy Spirit, to be about the glory of God and to seek you when there is tension, to seek you, to seek you and to petition the Lord and to say, God, there is tension. Or God, this person's telling me this and this is not your voice. Oh Lord, give me guidance, oh Lord. Give me direction, oh Lord, tell me how to respond because I don't wanna to listen to another voice. I wanna to listen to you. Lead us and guide us, God, in your truth and in your way by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 17.